Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, you know, I gotta tell you, it's so nice to see the summer weather on its way. And finally, you know, we watch people, lots of open house signs out there, lots of hustle and bustle in the real estate world. You know, sales are a little bit soft. Yep. You know, when we start thinking about a May, June market, you know, maybe not quite as hot as what everybody would like, especially sellers. I'm pretty sure most of you are, you know, if you've got a listing and it's been sitting around for a couple of weeks, you're saying, what's wrong with my house? Well, uh, in a little while, I'm going to have Tom Story from Royal LePage join me. We're going to be talking about the market, what's going on in the GTA. And then later, I'm going to have Greg Bennell join me. Yep, you've heard his name. Uh, you can catch him on BNN Bloomberg. And uh, we're going to be talking all things about the economy, real estate, and the Bank of Canada. Some of the things that might be coming up in the near future. But um, before we go down the uh, analysis road of real estate, um, I do want to give everybody some tips this week. And for me, being a real estate investor has been you know, a very positive experience, but it does have a lot of negative little things that can pop up. And I hate to use the word tenants when I talk about negative, but it does happen. So I figured I'd put together a list of top 10 tips if you're going to be a real estate investor. And this is if you are buying a property that you're going to rent out, not necessarily talking about your basement apartment. So how about before you get started, I'm going to start off with my number one tip. And this one I want everybody to, if you're going to do this, if you're going to buy an investment property, I want you to listen to this one. This one is the most important one for you. Learn all the rules and regulations under the Landlord Tenant Act and understand the forms and the timelines. So let me explain this to you before I go to the next point. First and foremost, if something is going wrong with your tenant relationship as a landlord and they are not meeting their contractual uh, requirements, which means maybe they're not paying you. You need to know what you can do. You can't just simply say, I'm kicking you out. There are forms that need to be started. One is called an N4. This is the first one that if you've got a bad paying tenant, this is the one you're going to get very familiar with and you should be familiar with it very quickly. In other words, if they miss their rent, you need to give them this form immediately. And I don't mean two or three weeks later because you are now delaying getting your money if you're able to gain access to it when you take them to the tribunals. Now, before we go any further with that, I'm going to go to point number two, okay? Because this one is the one, it's all about your mindset and treat the investment property as a business. Yep, that's right. You know what, if you're going to spend this kind of money and if you're buying in the Toronto market, you know, if you're buying a condominium for 500,000, that's about $100,000 down minimum. And then we have to start talking about, you know, carrying costs and chances are with the rents right now, you're going to be taking a little bit of money out of your pocket to make this thing carry. And you need to treat this as a business. So my question to you is this, if you've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on an actual business, let's say you bought a franchise, let's say you opened up a business, then you're going to take it very seriously. You're going to watch that investment. If things start going awry, you're going to jump all over it. Well, guess what? Owning an investment property is no different. You got to remove the human element. You've got to remove that mindset. It's like, oh, well, um, you know what? It is a business. And the more you treat it like the business, the business can grow. And that means multiple properties if you so desire in the future. How about number three? This is not your home. Yeah, you know, this is, this is the one I think people struggle a little with. You know, you may not like the location or you may not like the design or for that matter, the floor plan, but 
that doesn't mean a tenant won't. And when you start talking about, you know, the actual home itself, when you start referring it to as a home, you might live there, you might move in there, get that out of your head. Okay, that is not the way you're going to be profitable. If you start thinking it's like a home and you start treating it that way, you're going to have a problem. You're going to put too much money into it and you're not going to get the return you need. Now, here's number four, and I, I know a lot of people will sit there and say, hang on, this is a little bit harsh, but I'm going to give it to you straight. The tenant is not your friend, okay? This is not a person you're going to invite over for dinner. This is not a person that's going to invite you over for dinner, okay? You need to start treating this like a business. So the person that is going to be your tenant, that is a customer, a client, you can treat them well. But you know what? Most people don't take their clients out for dinner to their homes and, you know, they don't go to their homes for dinner. So, you know, keep this in mind because this is a business arrangement. Real question, quick question for you. If you lease a car and you don't pay the lease, what happens? Yeah, it gets repossessed. Well, when you're a landlord, you can't quite repossess the property. It can take quite a while. You've got to go through a lot of hoops. And at the end of the day, remember, the tenant is your client, okay? And that's one of the big things that a lot of people miss when they start a relationship being a landlord. Now, one of the other things, number five, I'm going to tell you, keep the maintenance up. Yep, this is very, very important. First and foremost, you know, you can keep your tenant fairly happy if you're able to take care of the property. But the biggest thing is, is this is still an investment, okay? If you let it run down and all, th all things start falling apart and you don't really care, if you go to sell it at any given time, you're not going to get the best value for it. So this is one of those things that I'm going to tell you, make sure you keep the maintenance up. It's very important. Number six, do not over improve the property. That's right. You know, it doesn't matter if the property is new or old. The idea of over improving a property happens all the time with uh, landlords. They will turn around and say, hey, I'm going to put granite countertops in. Oh, I'm going to put plank hardwood floor. So the real reason or the real question should be this. Who are you doing this for? Are you doing it for you so you can turn around and say, look at my investment property? Or are you doing it for the tenant? Well, in most cases, tenants typically in a standard, let's say, apartment townhome, they're not going to overpay for these improvements, okay? Normally, it is they will pay what is market rent, and if there's another option that's better than your property, then they'll turn around and they'll rent it. Remember, dollar is key here. Just because you can turn around and put thousands and thousands of dollars worth of upgrades does not mean you're going to get a return on your investment. And that's right, it's, it is an investment. This is so important. Number seven, okay, one of the things that you need to do is stay on top of the rental increases. That's right, the province of Ontario allows you to increase your rent once a year. Now, if you do this, you have to make sure you give proper notice. Uh, generally, uh, they have to receive the notice 90 days prior to the anniversary. They have to make sure the, pro the, the paperwork is documented correctly. They have to give you the notice of increase in rent, and it can only be by the provincial standards what they will release. Could be 1.8%, could be 2%, could be 07 but again, it's a varying number right now. Um, basically, the province, I think they're trying to mandate it over 1% at all given times. But again, you know, we've seen some higher rental increases and some lower ones. For landlords, it's a little bit tough. Stay on top of it. If you've got a great tenant, you can turn around and give them a credit back, which means put it in writing 
This is the new rent, but at the end of the day, if they're paying on time, you say, hey, listen, at the end of the year, I'm going to credit you back the rental increase, but make sure you do this. One of the other reasons why I want to encourage this is the fact that if you do have rental increases and you go to refinance, let's say five years down the road, you want to show what the income is for this property. The banks need to know this. So if the rent did go up by 100 or $150 in that time frame, you want to show that. If you don't give the rental increases, then great, you're a nice landlord, but it's going to affect your business. Now, number eight, remember leverage. This is one of the things we talk about in investment real estate all the time, and I believe that everybody should utilize leverage in investment real estate. Down the road, you'll be able to refinance the property and take your equity out that you put into it, which means you've got an infinite return on your investment. This is very, very important for people, and I want you to think about this. Again, your rate of returns. A lot of people say, hey, Todd, why don't I just turn around and pay cash for it? Well, that's bad leverage, and it's a bad return. You know, you can turn around pay cash for an investment property you may only be getting a rate of return of four or five percent when you use proper leverage investment properties can give you a return between 15 and 25 percent year over year and that's all based on mortgage pay down a little bit of equity increase and positive cash flow yep that third one positive cash flow that's what you should be looking for if you can now the other thing is is that number nine I always believe in using professionals my suggestion of course is make sure you have a professional accountant make sure you are documenting everything that you do know where your write-offs can come from and make sure you file the taxes correctly one of the things that your accountant will talk to you about is the depreciation of the asset meaning you know what can you bring the actual uh, lifespan value down on and at the end of the day I would tell you not to be too aggressive because you don't want to have an audit and it's much better to pay a little bit of taxes early on the property and finally the one thing that I'm going to tell you is life happens okay number 10 you could hire a property manager. You know, it's not always the rule of thumb that everybody needs to have a property manager. Sometimes you can do it yourself. But at the end of the day, life does happen. And what is your time worth? This is so important. So you can hire a property manager. Also, and that's a great segue into what I have to say, um, go to thesimpleinvestor.com. We've got a few units left. We've got another release coming up real soon and some, some seminars coming up a little bit later on in the summer. So go to thesimpleinvestor.com today and to find out more. Now, just in uh, you know, a couple, couple of quick notes, of course, talk about the market. Uh, May, again, nothing stellar, but you know what? Month over month, those are the things that we've got to focus on. It's actually pretty good. Uh, we st keep seeing, you know, I would say small increases, even though the uh, the prices were down year over year, roughly about 5%. Right now, we are seeing uh, a lot of things in the air about grow-ups. And so the uh, about a month and a half ago, I reported that uh, a judge ruled in favor of the seller and said to the buyer um, that they had to close or come up with a shortfall. Well, you know what happened? Well, there was a court of appeal uh, that they went to, the Ontario Court of Appeal, and it confirmed that the home buyer did not have the right to walk away. This was the original, but then it changed, and now they're holding fault to the seller. And so now the seller is on the hook for not disclosing. So when you list your property, be very careful. Have, uh, have some advice from your lawyer. Make sure that your realtor explains what you are signing. There are disclosure statements. And if you warrant that you, you are not aware and currently there is no reference to a grow up and they find out later 
um, as a seller, you may get caught with that one. So just a quick update on those kind of things. And by the way, after the break, we are going to have Tom Story from Royal Page join us. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. My guest joining me now is Tom Story, and he is from Royal LePage Signature Realty. And Tom, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back on. You know, it's always a pleasure having a chat with you. I know that uh, a lot of times, you know, when in, in the past, you know, we've been watching the condominium market go kind of a uh, little bit squirrely. Um, mm-hmm. If you were to update our listeners right now, what are we seeing in the downtown core? Sure. So if you look at CO1 and CO8, which you would talk about as like, you know, Toronto proper downtown condos, um, right now, anything in the 500 to $700,000 range, we're really seeing a huge amount of demand just because the inventory levels are low. I always tell people, you know, if you look on, you know, how like fire charts, when, when the arrow is moving one way very, very hard, well, the condo market would be in the in fire is going to happen territory just because inventory is so low. And what it really comes down to, frankly, is that they are the most affordable option. And, and the condo market is not only just for the first-time buyers, it's for the people downsizing, and it's for the luxury market. So you have every aspect of the market kind of coming at it, which is keeping the demand very high. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you, as far as the detached, uh, semi-detached, um, you know, townhouse market, I know inventory, you know, has always been an issue. Are we, are we still seeing kind of a couple hot pockets out there? We are, and it's really proximity to to downtown. So if you're looking at areas like Ronsonville, like Leslieville, like Riverdale, um, those areas are off the charts in terms of list price to sale price. On average, for for EO1, which is which is Leslieville and Riverdale, you're seeing 106 percent of sale to list price. Um, but then as you push further out of the city, you're seeing the the list to sale price closer to 99 or 100, and it, it's really just like the homes that are within. You know, a quick commute or walking to the downtown or the waterfront are still in very high demand. Yeah. Now, we know we do know the 905, you know, had a little bit of a settling from last year. 20, 2017, of course, the spring market, really crazy. Started to fall off a little in the month of May. When we take a look at the month of May this year, of course, uh, price was down. But the biggest thing is volume in comparison. So mm-hmm. is is this one of the things that you're, you're seeing, even though, you know, we are seeing some multiple offers, some strong prices, but the inventory, the, the actual number of sales right now is, is still very stagnant in comparison to last year you're right it's, it's low and when I looked at, at, at why that might be I think the biggest thing is because obviously when when the numbers come out we compare them year over year right and we're, when we're comparing to last year it was during that frantic time where everything was going over asking you know people were buying property sight unseen so this year I just think for the people that aren't actually really determined to sell their property it doesn't make as much sense to put it on the market last year you might say okay I'm gonna put my house up and if I can get this then I'll sell it but the actual motivation behind it is not as strong this year as it was last year. I also think is that when we're comparing to last year, just for sales numbers, is that last year we had a whole bunch of new listings right actually after fair housing was announced. Because I think people got worried. If they had bought a property, like, okay, I need to sell my house now. Let's get it on the market. So there was a flood of new listings all at once. And that's when inventory actually eventually spiked up last year. But that's why I think, you know, the actual sales numbers are, are they're down almost, you know, 30%. So uh, there's, there's less business happening in the city for sure. 
Yeah, and you know, it's funny because when we do uh, a comparison, 2016 was the greatest number of sales in May, and it was over 12,000. 2017, sitting around 10. This year, about 7,800. So, so the numbers really are skewed when you, when you take a look at the pure volume back in 2016. That was, I think, uh, on the record books, the biggest number of sales we've ever had, about 113,000 mm -hmm. in the GTA market. Yeah, and, and you know what? It, that those last two years were years that we've never seen like that. I think if you average it out over ten years, and I do, I do understand that there's more inventory on the market now based on all the condos that have been built. Um, one thing I would look at because a lot of people would look at you know last May and April and say, okay, did I miss the boat for selling my house? And what I would say to them, well, you know, are, are, you, are you moving somewhere else? Because if you're buying and selling in the same market, and the markets are you know within close proximity to each other. It's, it's all relative. You know, you might get 100 grand less for your house today, but the house you want to buy is 150 grand less. So you actually, you know, are you ahead of the game or are you actually behind? It really depends on your situation. Yeah, great point. Hey, listen, one of the things, of course, this year that we're hearing in the news is the recreational properties. They seem to be looking fairly strong. You know, uh, price increase, maybe 5 6%. You know, in Ontario, of course, we have, you know, numerous uh, different locations because of all the lakes that we're surrounded by. What do you see going on in the recreational market? So there's basically three points that, that I want to look at for the recreational market. And, and the, the average price for Ontario is about 535000 Now, I mean, that's not they're not all right on the water and things like that. But I think the first thing is cottage culture in Canada is, is ingrained in us. Like when I have friends or family that come in from other countries, they have no idea what it means to go to a cottage, right? It, it's completely different how, how we look at it compared to the rest of the world. And you want to show that off to them. And I think, you know, it's actually funny when you look at sales volume in late July and into August in the summer, there's a reason why there's not as many listings on the market is because everyone's at the cottage, right? So it's, <laughs> it's a big part of, of just being Canadian. I think that's, that's a huge thing. When I look at why the cottages have done very well in the recreational properties is because one they are more affordable if you're looking at overall inventory levels the inventory levels are going down which as we know supply demand and a lot of boomers are getting to the point where you know i have clients that spend eight months of the year at their cottage and recently just bought a condo in toronto just to have in toronto but they are taking all the equity out of their home that they've owned for 25 or 30 years they are then going to the cottage, they're making it you know all year round and, and really spending money and making the cottage their primary residence. And what I've also seen is I have younger buyers that, that I think have come to the conclusion that they can't afford what it's going to cost to live in the city. And they're looking at buying properties three to four hours outside of Toronto right now. And I mean, if you look at just you know Prince Edward County, see what's happening in that pocket. It's absolutely boom. It's an amazing place to go spend the weekend. They're, they're buying properties right now because they want to buy them, they're going to furnish them, they're going to rent them on Airbnb for a period of time, and then they don't want to lose out on that home ownership goal, so they're looking outside the expensive city. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, Tom, how do you think the uh, year's going to finish out? I mean, we're approaching summer, as we know, in real estate that typically slows down a little. Are we going to see a continued um, you know, steadiness? To, uh, do we see a drop? Do we see an increase? Yeah, I think we're going to see an increase. If you... You know, if you go back to the beginning of 2018 and look at every property type, um, we're up in every category. But again, you're comparing to January, not last April, right? I do think what's going to happen is to end off the year, you are going to see the condominium market 
continue to be the hottest asset class, and they will continue to rise in price. I do think, though, if you look at a price gap, so last year in the heat of the market, the difference between your average condominium and your average freehold property was almost $550,000. That's a large price gap. Today, it's about $400,000. Now, still a large price gap, but a lot smaller than it was last year. So as that price gap becomes smaller and condos continue to appreciate at a higher rate than your freehold properties, there will become a point when people are saying, okay, why am I buying a condo when I could now afford that semi-detached house? So we have to keep a close eye on when that actually happens. But I do expect, you know, right now, as we had talked about before, proximity to the core houses are still going to do very well. But as that price gap becomes closer, I would expect your typical detached, semi-detached property to really pick it up in early 2019. Yeah. Excellent. Listen, Tom, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, If our listeners want to reach you, what's the best way? Uh, We post a lot on Instagram at the story team, or you can check us out online at storyteam.ca. Excellent. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for having me. That was Tom Story from Royal Page Signature Realty. And when we come back, we've got Greg Bennell from B&M Blueberg. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So uh, great to have Tom Story on. You know, he is one of those agents that's uh, very, very active in the marketplace, great knowledge, and stays very focused uh, with his clients. So he's he's out there every single day knowing what's going on. And some interesting stuff, of course, about the recreational properties. You know, being a cottager myself, I have to tell you that, you know, it, it's very rare to see cottages change hands. You know, they normally get willed down. But when you do see a cottage change hand, if it's one of the older ones, you know, pretty quickly you see something getting knocked down in some of these, I would say, more home-like style uh, properties going up. And I guess it's a lot of the baby boomers. They're thinking that it's time to spend a little bit more time in the northern or eastern or western part of the province. And uh, it's interesting. So we'll we'll keep an eye on the cottage properties this year. Again, 5 or 6% increase. That's, uh, that's a solid number in comparison comparison to what's going on in some of the GTA market. Now, joining me in the studio is Greg Bennell. You, of course, know the name from the show here, but more importantly, from the BNN Bloomberg Network. And you can catch uh, Greg every single day during the week on The Real Economy, 2 to 3 p.m. And Greg, thanks for joining me. Always great to be here. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. You and I have not chatted, uh, you know, after the election. Of course, uh, you know, we, we, we were kind of prefacing what we thought might happen. Um, but I think the end result was probably, you know, that much of a majority, uh, you know, progressive conservative party. Wow. Uh, what do you think? I think it sort of played out the way that you and I were talking before the election, right? Like the polls were saying, oh, the NDP, the Tories, we don't know. It's a coin toss. And I, I just think about all the Ontario elections that I've watched over the years, particularly post Bob Ray's government in the early 90s. And about the midway point, people start saying, yeah, what about them? What about the NDP? And they always seem to rise in the polls. And then when it comes down to actually voting day, they go liberal or they go conservative. And obviously they went conservative this time around. So we got this majority. And now we need to find out uh, from Premier-designate Doug Ford What's the plan? We heard a lot of promises, and that's what election campaign's about, right? Get, pe- get people's passions riled up, get them on your side, make some promises, but nothing was costed, nothing was really that definite. Definite. So now we have to try to figure out what's he going to do. And I mean, for the purposes of you, the audience listening to us right now, what's he going to do about housing? Because, I mean, the, the, uh, 
the, the moves bought in last year under the Wynn government, but remember the, the Ontario government's involvement in the housing space goes right back 14, 13 years to their Places to Grow Act, sort of laying out the template. A lot of people have blamed where we are right now on that template. So here's a, a new government after almost 15 years that can start sort of uh, with their own slate and say, what do they want to do about housing in this province? You know, it was interesting because you and I were talking about uh, what Mr. Ford was looking at as far as campaign promises. You know, there was kind of a little bit of that misstep when we started talking about green space, mm -hmm. but we really didn't see much of a platform about real estate. You know, it, it seemed a little whimsical. In fact, I think I think all the party leaders, they were, you know, it, it was kind of a, you know, oh, well, we need to, you know, NDP were throwing out, yeah, well, we need to make affordable housing. And you and I always sit there and say, okay, can you explain to us what affordable housing? And nobody wants to define that, you know, in this space. And yet on top of that, we're not, you know, we're not sure what are going to be the steps for this next government to either ease the, the congestion, you know, work towards working with builders. And at that time, instead of, instead of beating down the market to make things affordable, how about increasing inventory? Yeah, that gets to be a very interesting discussion about where, where Doug Ford's head is at. I think people try to look back at his past uh, his stint as a councillor in Toronto, trying to get a sense of the Ford family, of course, his late brother Rob, who was mayor of Toronto. But, but I think it's it's still an open question as to where he's going to go with this party and, and in terms of where he's going to get pulled by the other people around the table. I can't imagine that they're going to be happy with the, the liberal legacy of the Places to Grow Act. I don't, I'm not saying they're going to tear it up and throw it away, but I can't imagine that they would just say, you know, that's fine, we'll just go on with that. I mean, when, when governments switch this dramatically from one end to the other, uh, there's there's a chance there for, the, for them to come in and say, well, you've given us a mandate, you weren't happy with them, maybe you weren't happy with what they're doing, maybe we're going to start doing some other things. I think a lot of people would like to see that kind of government red tape pulled back, and even if it's not a discussion about the Greenbelt, people always think that the only place left to build are on those farms, but you think about like a, a city of Toronto and, and the kind of buildings that are being torn down. I had a great conversation actually this week with uh, Ed Sunshine, the CEO of Rio Canada. We were talking about his new project, The Well. For people who are not uh, familiar with downtown Toronto, there's this huge parcel of land right down by the rail tracks. It used to be the Globe and Mail building and Spin Master Toys. It's all been torn down. He's doing residential, he's doing commercial, he's doing retail, that kind of thing where there's, there's still pockets of the city of opportunity where you can, you can put people in. I guess the real question becomes, once you put all those people in, how do you move them around the city? Because uh, this area right now is just becoming crazy to me in terms of trying to walk, trying to cycle, trying to drive a car. I don't even know how to get around this neighborhood anymore. Well, that's why they're going to invent flying cars soon. And, uh, and They're supposed to be you know, here by now, aren't they? I mean, <laughs> it's almost 2020. Yeah. So, so Greg, one of the things, and, and I'm glad you touched on this, because we're you know, basically you were talking about the infill uh, part of the structure in Toronto. And again, when we talk with... Uh, a lot of the developers, you know, some of the big uh, real estate names like CBRE, you know, they're saying, listen, red tape is just inundating everybody. So even if they did own a piece of property nowadays, seven to 10 years before, you know, you're looking at occupancy. And again, one of the things that, you know, when we talk about real estate right now, this is a today problem, not just a tomorrow problem. It's going to be monumental in a few years, of course, because of the number of people that are coming into the Toronto core area. But when we take a look at the big picture, this is a today problem. And 
Yet, when we take a look at the, the, the Liberal government, what they put in last year, the Fair Housing Act, when they started playing around with that, you know, I, my, my, I guess my two-part question here is for you is, do you think that the PCs would even dare to start tearing part of that uh, down? Because, again, you know, I think there's certain things that probably should not have put, been put in place. And if they do, what could they implement that's going to make the city either, you know, better, more viable, easier for people to develop? I think it would have to be the red tape. Like you said, you're talking about like timelines of years and years. It's a today problem. I, I hate to be the voice of doom and gloom, but there's probably another recession coming. No one can time it when it is, but the expansion's been so long, the, the economy moves in cycles. So you start making plans that aren't going to bear fruit for five or seven years. We'll probably be on the other side of a recession by then. We'll probably have gone through one. Hopefully it won't be too damaging, but we do move through these cycles. Uh, during the campaign, there was a little bit of talk about the foreign buyer's tax as well. That'll be interesting. That's probably low-hanging fruit. If, uh, if uh, Doug Ford wanted to do something right away with a swipe of a pen, he could probably just say there's no more foreign buyer tax, but I'm not sure that's what the market needs. It just in the sense that if if that psychological effect of the the foreign buyer tax actually made domestic buyers buy start buying for the right reason, and I mean the right reason is I've I've got a family, I've got a partner, I've got kids, I need a place to live. Everyone needs a place to live. But if you were buying at the height of it last year because you're saying home prices only go up forever, and this is the bet I'm making, and I'm putting all my money on black, well that was probably the wrong decision. And then, then we're told on the other side of it that there's not that many foreign buyers anyway. So it seems that's why I think it's the low-hanging fruit. If people think it doesn't matter at all, then just chop it right away. But it might get that speculative uh, kind of mentality back into the market saying, oh, good, here comes the money again. Let's run all the prices up. And that doesn't solve the affordability problems. No, but also pushing the prices down artificially is not always good with government intervention. Because if we take a look at what they're actually doing, they are affecting the baby boomers, you know, end result, which could be part, the, you know, their biggest asset for their retirement. So this is, it, it's a double-edged sword. I, I mean, it can be, but I think right now it seems like we, we doubt this, right? When the government says, or the economists come on and they say, we're going to do all these things and we're going to engineer a soft landing. There could be bad times to come, but everything I'm seeing right now in terms of numbers coming out of government agencies, everyone, and even real estate boards seem to be saying we've had the the, uh, the long sought after, and some people thought what would be mythical soft landing. We came off the crazy activity of last year. We're only down about 12% on average prices year over year. Prices are starting to move back up on average in Toronto. Uh, StatsCan just came out with uh, some details about the first quarter saying the mortgage activity actually cooled back to 2014 levels when a lot of people would say it was a healthy market, it was an insane market, but people were making money, people were building equity, people were able to get into homes. So uh, it's, it's a sort of a weird balancing act. I think what's interesting too, and what we heard from Doug Ford on the campaign, is that when he talked about housing, uh, although you're right, they were vague across the board, all the all the leaders, but he talked about sort of the free market and let the market decide. That's a whole other can of worms because governments have been involved in this in the housing market for decades. Some people just don't like. Some people like where they're involved in some places, like the CMHC, like the home buyers uh, plan. Some people don't like the other places they're involved. So it's one of those things. Be careful what you wish for. If it was a complete free market for real estate, I think it'd be a very different picture, especially for young buyers. Yeah, it'd be like the Wild West. <laughs> okay, so listen, Greg, um, we've, we've got lots more to talk about. I do want to talk about the Bank, Bank of Canada, some mortgage rates, you know, um, new tariffs. It's going to affect our economy. So um, do me a favor, stay put. When we come back, folks, we've got more with Greg Bennell from BNN Bloomberg. 
And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Mr. Greg Bennell. He is from BNN Bloomberg, and uh, he is the host of the show The Real Economy, 2, two to 3 p.m. Uh, during the week. And you gotta, you got to tune in. Greg's great on that show. Uh, Greg, just before the break, you and I were talking about, obviously, the new provincial government uh, that's going to be coming in. And are they going to be able to help us in real estate? Are they going to be able to help us? I think that's the big question. You and I talked about the fact that I think the thing developers really want to see whether they want to build single-family homes on the fringes of the 905 or whether they want to infill space in Toronto. They want to just see a quicker process. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. How many years it takes to try to address a today problem? Today we have this problem. Oh, good, we're going to do this, and then five, six, seven, eight years There'll be a house there to live in. Yeah, I mean, we need the we need the problem solved now. now I know you can't put sure. up a house overnight, but it shouldn't take that long. Yeah, good point. And you know, it's interesting because um, first and foremost, you know, six. You know, when when the NDP were promising that you know they wanted to build sixty thousand properties over sixty thousand units over the next ten years, that's six thousand units. Um, that's really not going to help anything. That's that's not the number that we need. And when we take a look at just the the pure population growth that we're going to feel in the GTA. But you know, here here's here's the one thing. And I know we always you know we talk so much about the GTA, but here's the thing if the provincial government could start looking on the outer area meaning you know let's get some incentive to build up some of these you know i would say smaller to medium sized cities and towns you know let's let's start you know working on employment let's 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 start pulling people out of the gta or the point is is that hey listen you're only an hour and a half to the gta so everybody you can still spend your vacation money there but ultimately in the end build some of the outer outer, outer market because whenever we talk about real estate you know we focus so much on the gta but the truth is, is that you know we've got unbelievable markets both east and west and north of the core you know the south part well that might be a little wet but you know when we take a look at the big part of the market you know there's a lot more than just the gta i think that was that's what frustrates a lot of people in ontario that the conversation always goes back to toronto it frustrates people across canada obviously and i think i've read a lot of stuff about sort of uh, the post-mortem of the election in ontario and what happened and why did doug ford end up with that majority and that sense that a lot of people who aren't in toronto were sort of looking in at the wealth and the prosperity of Toronto and feeling like they're not sharing in that as well. It, it would be great. I, I think of the, the train that I take in, because I live in Brampton, and that's about 45 minutes on the train to come in. But that train was extended to Kitchener a couple of years ago. There are people actually commuting in from Kitchener into Toronto. To me, that's a bit of a long haul, because I think it takes them about an hour and 45 minutes to make that trip, you know, just in one direction. But the, but the idea that if we put the proper structures in place for people to be able to move around efficiently and not get stuck in traffic or get stuck behind a freight train, then you can start to sort of move everyone in. Not everyone has to live in downtown Toronto, even if you make your living here. I make my living here. I don't live in downtown Toronto. I'm lucky that I actually have a way to get back and forth that doesn't involve me sitting there in frustration and, and uh, on the gardener stuck in a car and cursing a blue streak. Well, you know, and, and it's interesting because if we talk about, you know, the corridor of the 401, of course, and going both east and west, I mean, there is lots of affordable land. There is, you know, areas such as you've got, you know, London, Ontario. You can talk about Windsor. You can talk about Sarnia. You can talk about, you know, Belleville, Bowenville, uh, you know, out to Kingston. All these areas, again, bordering the 401. So we're, we're still in the major, you know, um, 
transportation hub. And if we take a look at these areas and say, hey, listen, why can we not start creating, you know, more of these kind of super sm small towns, su super small cities, where we encourage people instead of always saying, hey, listen, you know, we, we, we must jam everybody in the GTA. Well, why not push out, give, give encouragement to employers to, you know, start looking outside the city. You know, I think you and I had talked about, you know, some of the government buildings, about maybe moving them into some of the smaller cities if you're, if you're working with, you know, the CRA, if you're working with different, different, uh, you know, aspects of the government, why not encourage that? Yeah, why does everything have to be here? I mean, financial services are going to be here. They just gravitate to the big centers. It's a huge yeah, thing. But, the, yeah, the government definitely has those levers to pull in, in terms of where they want to put those jobs. When you were talking about that, it makes you think, what, what's our problem with high-speed trains? Why can't we get them in our country? I mean, you go to Europe and you get in the channel and you're off and you're in Paris and you, before you know it, and then you come back here and everyone makes those promises. But that's always the big political promise that never, ever comes to fruition in this country. I can't think of how many Canadian politicians at some point who have gone to some groundbreaking ceremony and said the word high-speed train, and it just never happens. Well, you know, that's because they don't have Elon Musk on speed dial. You, we got to get that boring, get his boring <laughs> machine up here and dig us a tunnel to Kitchener. That's it. You know, I mean, listen, there, there is opportunity, unfortunately. You know, when you get locked in that one mindset, so everybody right now is like, they, you know, Toronto's unaffordable. Toronto's un unaffordable. Okay, go to New York City and find out what you have to say about that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. it's such a locked-in mindset. And and at the same time, you know, I, I notice that, there's a couple of developers that are starting to going to be building some more office towers in the downtown core, which is great because, you know, when we take a look at the commercial real estate, there is a real shortage now as far as office towers. Yeah, there's a big one coming. It's the uh, CBR. No, not the CBR, but there is a big project in just in the West End where they're going to build some more uh, office Cadillac space. Fairview. Cadillac Fairview. Yeah. That's it. Cadillac yeah. Fairview. That's what I was trying to get. Yep. Yeah, and that idea that, but that's still those are those jobs downtown, right? So I think the key thing and for any big city, right, is just moving people around efficiently. You don't want to spend forever getting back and forth to work. You want to be able to move people. And I think that might be an interesting debate under a premier Doug Ford. Because I don't know if a lot of people on the transit side of the equation have felt that he is an ally. Actually, I had a chance this week to speak with uh, Toronto Mayor uh, John Tory, and of, and of course he was very polite and cordial about you know, the premier designate and coming into power by the end of this month. But I said, do you think your vision aligns in terms of moving people around? I didn't really get too clear of an answer on that. I think he gave <laughs> he gave that cautious optimism that they'd figure it out. There you go. Politically correct. Uh, speaking of unpolitically correct, uh, this uh, this past week, uh, Mr. Trump uh, continues to beat down on Canada, talking about tariffs and talking about NAFTA. Do you see this affecting our economy? I mean, is there any resolution here? And, what, and, and, and I'll ask this question because then, of course, the next question is, what's the Bank of Canada going to do in July? Uh, everyone I'm talking to thinks that the Bank of Canada is going to go in July. These are Bay Street economists. That will, they will go in July. That they just they want to. They want to start getting those interest rates back up. And uh, but then after that, they start to start weighing out. Okay, what's going to happen here? The tariffs on aluminum and steel. They're not good. They're in place now because our little exemption period ran out. But it's not a huge monetary hit to our economy. It's the next one where he keeps threatening about the auto industry and what he wants to do there. That would be a huge blow, not only to the overall Canadian economy, but really the Ontario economy. Think of the, you know, that heartland of manufacturing throughout Ontario, all those auto parts makers. That that would be a, a big hit. So, and so now you're left trying to just, of course, what everyone's been trying to do since the presidential election in the States, trying to figure out, what is Donald Trump up to? What is his strategy? Why is he making nice with the Russians and North Korea? 
and seemingly wanting to pick fights with the G7. Like everything sort of just turned upside down. I don't. I haven't been able to have a conversation where someone said uh, this is definitely what's doing. I think the most convincing thing that I've seen, and I read this today on the way in, someone comparing Mr. Trump's tactics to wrestling, the WWE. And the time that he spent there in terms of I was just nice say, guys you know, turn into the... bad guys, bad guys turn into nice guys. There's all this drama. It's just never ending. Wow. Yeah. That's the you best know. analysis I've seen so far. I said, you know what? That sort of makes sense if he's taken it from that, that page. Because how Canada became an enemy and a security threat to the United States, I, I'm still scratching my head over that one. Yeah, as long as he doesn't put on his wrestling tights. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to see that. No, definitely not. Um, so if we if we take a quick look, so we're thinking Bank of Canada might push rates in July. We'll wait and, we'll wait and hold that one because again, there's still I, I'd say there's still a balancing act. We got to figure out what's going to go on from there. Um, but with 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 the tariffs in place, NAFTA is still questionable. You know, do we do we see if one if we have one move? Do you think that's it for the year? Uh, I, I'm starting to feel like it's going to be one move and then dependent on can we repair things, can we get NAFTA out of the way. It, it seemed that we were so close on NAFTA and then the Sunset Clause stuff came in and the fighting began again. But if we actually – we I, I feel like we're going to get the one in July. And then after that, if we can just get a NAFTA deal, we can stop fighting with Washington, we can uh, – get the threat of more tariffs out of the way and off of our head, then the Bank of Canada would feel a lot better. But that's what they always say, right? They're going to be uh, data dependent. They're watching everything. But if things just get worse and worse and worse with Washington, that's going to have an effect on our economy, and that's got to guide the Bank of Canada. Yeah, definitely. Um, other than that, one of the things that, uh, again, we're going to watch is the market. It's starting to, uh, you know, we're starting to feel the effects of summer, which we have not felt in the last few years. And so as as the numbers kind of drop as far as volume, you know, your typical June kind of starts to peak out a little. We'll see the numbers in the next couple of weeks. But then July, August, typical slowdown. Everybody's moving into a property that perhaps they purchased back in the spring. So I think, and, and, and you know, you can, let me know if your numbers are saying the same thing, but I think we're returning maybe to a more normalized cyclical market. Yeah, actually, some of the people I talked to, and, and not just economists, I actually uh, hitched a ride with a real estate agent to work last week, which sounds like a conspiracy, but he's actually, I was just he's say. actually <laughs> my, my wife's, he's our real estate agent, he's my wife's cousin, and we ran into each other at the polling stations on, on voting day, so he drove me down to work. And it's, you know, it's good to talk to someone who's on the ground like that, right? And it's like, how are you seeing the activity? And you're saying, oh, it's, you know, it's not, it's not terrible, but it's not like it was last year. But the, the sense that there's still homes that are selling, and they're moving hands, but we're off the fever pitch, and we're perhaps back to that healthier place where in the long run I mean the speculators don't like it because the speculators want to make 30 percent in 12 months but in the long run just people who want to live in houses and you know have a family there whatever your your goal end game or goal is then that's great it's a place to live and we don't want to lose the value of that we don't want to see our equity disappear but in terms of uh, yeah, thirty percent price increases year over year, I don't think anyone wants to see that. Except, except for the speculators looking for the quick buck. Yeah, listen, Greg, always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much. And our listeners can tune in to you during the week, two to three p.m. for the Real Economy at BNN Bloomberg. So uh, thanks so much. Yeah, always a pleasure. Excellent, folks. That was Greg Vanell. Hey, listen, I also want to thank uh, Tom Story from Royal Page. Uh, for joining me. It's always a pleasure to have Tom on talking about real estate and what's going on in the market as we speak. And uh, I want to thank my producer, Ian Grant. As usual, he keeps it simple for me to be able to give you this show. And I want to thank you for tuning in. Remember, I'm back next week, Saturday at 3 p.m. As usual, I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.